Hi, you're listening to Homegrown Power, and I'm Jasmine Leva. And my name's Pasita Rada. And again, this podcast is all about cultural strategy and the ways in which organizers are using art and culture to change their communities. So for us, we really think about cultural strategy as the integration of art, culture, storytelling, and organizing to create the world we need. Today, we're talking to Filipino Advocates for Justice about the Filipino community in the East Bay and about their work with young people and how they're using art and culture to address the housing crisis. We met with Sammy Gutierrez, Civic Engagement Coordinator at FAJ, and chatted about everything from stencil making to voting to Filipino punk rock. So we met up in their office in Oakland, which is located in the middle of Chinatown. And if you've ever been to Chinatown, you'll know that it's bustling with loads of amazing Asian restaurants, places to buy produce you would never find at Whole Foods, and murals that really connect the people with the culture of Oakland. So let's jump into the conversation we had with Sammy. The phrase like the, the political is personal comes to mind. And that, like, um, as we do our political and organizing work, um, we can't, oftentimes people just look at it as just policies and laws and, um, you know, getting numbers out to places. But, like, what's the human aspect to it? And, and how does, uh, how do our cultures and our histories and her stories and our stories come into play into, like, actually humanizing these policies and these um, laws. Philippine Advocates for Justice is, is, is interesting because, like, we have our office here in, in Oakland Chinatown, and we also have uh, another office in Union City. Um, and though, like, we're housed here, most of the work that we actually do is where Filipinos are living. And so while there was, like, a community of Filipinos in Chinatown beforehand, most of the Filipinos that we work with and the largest population that we work with is actually um, across the, was it the Posey Tube in Alameda, mm. um, and also within uh, Union City. We actually work with a lot, or mostly with the West End or the West Side of Alameda, where which tends to be more like lower and middle income folks and families. Um, a large number of our base is actually, uh, and then the folks that we serve are young people. We also serve the immigrant community and, and help them with like naturalization do you know like ice watch and organize and work with currently domestic workers so i i love that at the beginning you talked about like the political being personal um so how long have you been at faj and like how did you get into organizing work i came into faj as i believe it was 2010 i came as a college senior i needed an internship um, for one of my classes, and I was going to San Francisco State, and I wanted to do something in the East Bay, because i from the East Bay. I grew up in Pittsburgh, California. No H, because we're not haters. No. <laughs> um, sorry, not, not to offend folks from Pittsburgh, <laughs> Pennsylvania. Um, but, like, I wanted to do something in the East Bay, because I felt, like, a little alienated from the Filipino community. Uh, in the East Bay, like, I didn't really know what that was about besides like my own family. Um, so I asked a professor, Russell Jung, at San Francisco State if he knew any good organizations, and he directed me to Filipinos for, no, that's the old name, 
Filipino Advocates for Justice, formerly Filipinos for Affirmative Action. Um, and then I kind of just did whatever they needed, and I stuck around. Uh, I ended up doing contract work, and I, like, cut my teeth on organizing here. Sammy talks about the youth program FAJ created and how they're using art to uplift young people's voices. And we know that for youth, art and culture is kind of the thing that like brings them into the movement mm -hmm. a lot of times. Um, it's also the thing that like connects us all in a new yeah. way. So how are you all integrating art and culture into your organizing work, mm -hmm. in particular with the youth work that you're doing? You know, politics and, and, and whatnot isn't necessarily something that is very appealing to young people, or at least not all young people. Um, so oftentimes we would use art as a, as a way to get into it. So we'll always use, like, music and artists, like, I, I've traditionally used like Bamboo, Rocky Rivera, Ruby Ibarra as, as like folks offering kind of like a counter narrative to the very like white supremacist and like heteropatriarchal kind of like master narratives that 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 folks often get, and it's a way for us to for them to like hear something and hear folks who look like them and offer stories. Um, that they don't necessarily get, but and also reflect their own, and so that was you know music's one way that that we would get them into it. We also did a lot of art builds, and so like I I don't draw, um, <laughs> I yeah I, I don't um, I'm not like I, I'm not good with like wording or tagging or anything, but like I do have access to a computer and a printer, and so like. You know, we would do these art builds by um, putting together, like, like get, finding some nice fonts and, and, and whatever campaign we're doing, we'll, like, uh, find an engaging image and then make a giant stencil out of it, cut that out, and then just, like, pump out a bunch of, uh, or, like, at lunchtime at the school, pump out a bunch of uh, posters. Nice. Uh, and so, you know, like, we just set up a table, set, set up the... Um, our, bring our poster paper and, and the uh, stencils and have, like, a, can, a whole bunch of cans of spray paint. And young people oftentimes, you know, like, oh, what's going on over there? That looks cool. Let's try it out. And then as they're sitting there and they're, you know, making a, a poster, which we'll usually eventually use for action, uh, we tell them about what's going on. So back in, like, 2014 or so, one of my youth and, and, and like 30 other families were being, were going to be evicted from their homes, uh, from their apartments, because the new landlord essentially just wanted to kick them all out so he could, you know, raise the rents. Um, and this was going to be over the winter break. And so we decided that we would get a bunch of young people to come out to the city council meetings and have city council, like, intervene and stop the... Um, evictions because it was during a time when there was supposed to be um, a ban on all evictions. Um, but the landlord was using a, what was it, like a loophole. And so um, we 
made a bunch of like stencils that were like I forget what they like profit over people no, people over profits don't play with our homes uh, and we we were using images like the what was it the little rich dude from Monopoly I forget oh, yeah. his name yeah does he have a name I I think he does <laughs> the rich dude. Yeah, Mr. Moneybags. Money right so we had him, uh, and then we also, I remember I, I copped a, uh, a image of, like, uh, a person building, like, a Lego house, and it was in an art kit from, um, I think it was Culture Strike. And, yeah, it was, like, don't play with our homes, um, people over profit, and, like, housing is, housing is, a, is a community right or a human right. Um, and so we set up shop during lunch and then started making all those posters and engaged with people who were in middle school to, like, uh, high school seniors. And so they'd come by and make a poster. We'd tell them about what was going on and tell them what, when the city council meeting was going to happen. And then from there, you know, some of them were actually able to join us at the city council meeting, and we filled up the room with young people who were advocating for these families and these young people who were being evicted from their homes. And so, based off of that, we, we saw that, like, that was something that was really popular and, and a way to engage a lot of folks. And so, we continued doing more and more art builds. So, you know, we would do posters. We would also do banners. Another thing I got from the, you know, from the Culture Strike art kits was, like, how to make a banner. And so, I would go and buy, like, a, a cheap thing of uh, fabric and we, me and my uh, high school interns and, and, and the folks in the program would sit around and like, okay, what image can we use? What's the message that we're going to put up there? And um, one of the first banners we made was how do we humanize, you know, like the face of these people who are being evicted from their homes? And so there was, you know, we were looking through pictures uh, and images that we were taking from press events and from the families living there. And there's this picture of these... Um, these two girls that were probably about like three and like five and who were living there and like okay let's use this they're the children who are actually living there and and if you want to see you know who's being hurt by these evictions these people are two young girls some of the most you know vulnerable people who have uh the least amount of institutional power this can you know motivate folks and and and, and humanize that that hurt and so we projected the photo using um, a projector onto uh, the banner, markered it, then we painted it as a group, and then we brought it out to the um, art builds, and we were like, what does home look like for you? Uh, and so people would, you know, in order to show that, even if they couldn't come with us to a city council meeting, they could write their name on there and share what does home mean to them. And so, you know, they're connecting with the campaign, and they're also providing uh, materials and voices that the city council could see and that other people would see. And so we continued making banners, making posters, doing these art builds. And we even did a couple barbecues with the apartment complex that was, that was being evicted. And so we had like these parties that showed the f folks who were interested in, in coming to help out and support um, what the community actually looked like and what was going to be lost if they, you know, all got evicted. And so we built solidarity through that, you know, just through sharing some food with each other. And we, we built art that helped. Even if folks couldn't come out, they, they were going to be represented. Yeah. yeah, and so that was, like, easy ways for 
young people to get hyped and excited about these, you know, city council meetings, which, like, nobody is trying to, no, like, high school student is excited to come out on a Tuesday night <laughs> to sit down <laughs> and wait to be, uh, to, to say something at a city council meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, like, how we tried to engage folks in it. That's cool. I love that you're sharing tactics because I think sometimes it can seem like, oh, like, how do we get on that level? But, like, I remember the first time we projected an image on a banner and then traced it, and I was like, it's this easy, you know? And, like, I think sometimes people, like, think you got to have, like, this huge budget, and it's just, like, what do you have on hand, right, to, like, make these things happen? Here, we learn about their intersectional organizing and how Filipino culture informs their strategy. The youth group that I, that I work with, uh, young people call it Bayanihan Youth Group. Um, we chose the name, or the young people chose the name, and Bayanihan is this value or this sense of like working together as a community to accomplish something. Um, and we always like to center our work and, and our purpose around this idea of kapwa, which is like togetherness, a shared sense of identity that like the things that affect you also affect me. It's kind of like, it parallels like Enlakesh and, 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 and Ubuntu and like this idea that I am you and you are me so that our struggles and our liberation is tied together. And so like using both kapwa that idea that we're in this together, that even though we may not be the completely the same people uh, and that we may have different forms of oppression and face different struggles, we're still tied together and it's an intersectional and that we can build community off of that. And that with that by any hand spirit, you're working together to accomplish these goals. And another way that we also like drive that home is like at the end of our meetings, we do this thing called a Yisung Baksak. One student will, or one person in the group will yell out Isang Baksak, and then all of us will clap together uh, in unison. Um, and it represents, like, the unity and the solidarity that we have together. Um, oh, Isang Baksak means, like, one fall or one down. And so, like, it represents that we've accomplished something for the day. Let's celebrate that accomplishment, but also that if someone in our community has fallen, it's the responsibility of, of all of us to pick them back up. And so, like, that sense of community, that sense of togetherness, which oftentimes I think comes into conflict with, like, the very individualized kind of, like, ideology that we see growing up here in the United States um, that we also internalize. It's about trying to, to like, decolonize that, that mentality and re-indigenize and go back to like some of the values that that kept us alive, and and, and that we you know like examples of our resilience and and and, and how we survived and, and and thrived and built community. Yeah. Um, I love that about being Filipino, <laughs> um, but then there's also like lots of issues internally within the community which are problematic. Uh, you know, sometimes you get beef or or misunderstandings between like folks who are Filipino-American born and folks who are, like, immigrants. And then, you know, there's also, like, heteropatriarchy within the community. We've also, like, like we did art builds with, with the local gay student alliance at the school in order to, like, 
some of our students, our youth may not, you know, are like cis and, he- and, 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 and straight folks and may not know ish about that stuff. But like, because we're, we're talking about oppression, we're talking about liberation and program, we're talking about ideas like Kapwa and Bayanihan, we'll like do art build with a GSA and then it's a way for them to also interact and deepen their understanding of what of what those values mean and offer a counter narrative to like colonize perspectives of what it means to be Filipino. And so like we also learn that like what it means to be Filipino is dynamic and that culture isn't static, that it's dynamic and that we live it and we make it. And as much as we are affected and, and, and shaped and influenced by it, we also do the same. Um, and that, like, it's another, you know, it's another example of, like, agency and that we can change the world and that it's visionary. Because, like, often, you know, immigrant families and, like, organizing, it's about survival. I mean, survival is, like, necessary. We do need to do all that. But also art and culture allows us to, to go past that and look at, like, the visionary, what other worlds uh, can exist beyond what we are Sur- having to survive and deal with and what do we want um, and you know that helps us like direct where I think the community can go and, and helps us to find out like how we can heal yeah yeah. and I love that you brought up some of the, the conflicts that exist mm-hmm. within the Filipino community because those aren't things that are just relegated to your community right like these are things that exist in all communities of color mm-hmm. and I think at times sometimes we tend to bury bury the fact that we have like anti-black racism mm-hmm. that we have heteronormativity that we can be transphobic and mm-hmm. queerphobic within our own cultures and so I think it's important for us to continue to lift up when those things are occurring mm-hmm. to make it clear that like that's not who we are as people it's something that has been passed down to us mm-hmm. through capitalism and patriarchy and mm-hmm. white supremacy you know so like yeah i really appreciate you lifting that up yeah i mean it's, it's a real struggle that that i think we all have to deal with and and, and if we want to make the changes in the world we we got to deal with the ugly yeah yeah I have to ask this because I have a Filipino friends and they're always telling me about Filipino music and like uh, Filipino like punk bands. Is there any like uniquely like Filipino music or like artists that you really are into that you would share? Oh, sure. Um, so, you know, I grew up listening to a lot of punk rock and identifying, you know, in the punk subculture. Um which can oftentimes be a very white space. <laughs> um, you know, as much as I love the Ramones and the Clash, like, um, we need some melanin in there, too. <laughs> uh, um, one of the bands that I grew up listening to, as far as, like, Filipino punk, was a band called Escapo. You know, uh, they're from Vallejo, or at least most of them, I think, were from Vallejo. And Rupert Stanislaw was the... Uh, lead singer of the band and he's also a Filipino immigrant like Bay Area spoken word artist uh, and I love that dude he's cool uh, he, him and uh, his homie Josh started a, a Filipino punk distro and do a, a yearly like Filipino punk f- uh, festival 
called Aklasan Fest. Other Filipino punk bands that are dope are Dharma. Uh, I want to go into my office and like grab all the tapes, but like any tapes. Yeah, so I, I got, yeah, like, cool. I got, I, punks are weird. We, we, sometimes we do, like, the, the old school stuff and, like, the, anything that you can find on the Akla Sunfest, like, distro, all those bands are dope. Um, they're, you know, Filipino punk bands who sing their songs in Tagalog uh, or, you know, like, other Filipino languages. There's, uh like queer and 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 women folks who who are leading the bands material support is a really dope band from uh, new york and so you said you grew up in pittsburgh yeah um what was it like growing up there because i know it's it's the bay right mm-hmm. but it's like a little bit different than oakland or yeah. like san francisco it's the very end of the east bay um like seriously i think it's pittsburgh end of the east bay and then it's antioch and that's that's not the East Bay anymore. It's not the Bay Area, but um, it's it's an interesting place because like it's still very like working class and and lots of immigrants and lots of people of color. Um, so that kind of has been that's been something that's normalized for me is just like being around working class and and and, and people of color. So that way, it's not that different from other parts of the Bay, but. Yeah, I guess this is a little. It's a little more removed from like Oakland and San Francisco, but you know, like as much as that's true, I also you know Pittsburgh is also known as like P World. If anybody remembers the Hyphy era, mm-hmm. um, and so like when Hyphy blew up, we were all like, "Oh, Pittsburgh <laughs> P World!" and the, the the song P World came out, and then like we got a little bit of. We got a little bit of shine. Like, some folks in the Bay still remember that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just remember lots of kicking it with my friends, going out and skateboarding. I don't know. I feel like it's like it's not that much different from uh, from, from other places in the Bay that you, that you would come across. Yeah. Although, you know, because it's all the way at, at, out at the end, probably not as... You know, like, folks were staying within Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, a bunch of broke kids aren't going to have... Every now and then we'll, we'll hop onto the bar to explore other parts of the Bay Area. But, like, we, we were kind of isolated, too. And, and then it led to, like, I guess our own culture. But I, I can't even, like, speak on that. Like, what, what does that mean? Kind of like a fish in water. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We, there was the new Mecca... <laughs> That's what I was about to say, because I feel like sometimes when you don't have that infrastructure and you are kind of isolated, yeah. it actually helps facilitate your own creativity and you like feel more spurred to create something, mm-hmm. create something for yourself, because it's not available to you. Mm-hmm. When I was uh, still in high school in Pittsburgh, and you know the, some of the early stages of like gentrification displacement were happening... We would get like graffiti on the walls, like East Oakland, West Oakland, yeah, uh, you know, folks repping that, but and then like hitting on folks from Pittsburgh, and then I'd be like, what? The, what the, why the hell are people uh, tagging up walls with repping Oakland, you know, when they're in Pittsburgh? And at the time, I didn't realize that it was because all these folks were were getting, you know, 
displaced and, 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 and black folks were, were getting, you know, the first folks to get gentrified out, out of like Oakland and San Francisco. And so they were moving to where they could, which was all the way out in Pittsburgh and Antioch, which lacked, you know, like certain, if the, the same kind of like infrastructure that they had out here, um, where there might have been programs that, that like targeted young folks to try and like um, give them a place and a space to call their own. They didn't necessarily have that out there. And so I do remember that like there was like, conflicts and fights over like people repping their where they came from another thing is like everyone's going to be affected by housing you know like even if you're not a renter yourself you probably have homies and friends and loved ones who are renters um and you know people just looking at people and having a heart and like families shouldn't have to choose between like feeding their kids or moving away from from, from, like, people who they've called neighbors and family for, like, a decade or years just because they have to find an affordable place to, to live. And, like, also, traffic sucks. <laughs> like, if anyone has ever tried to, you know, is on the freeway at, like, 7, 8. I was in traffic at, like, 9 a.m. today. And traffic sucks because we're all getting kicked out of our homes and have to work for, or, you know, like, travel farther from the places that we worked and the places that we lived and that's also making you know the environment bad and so you don't want to get sick and stay in traffic for two hours to get to your job so let's make sure that housing is affordable um and you get to keep your friends with you that's why you should vote yeah and they don't want you to vote hashtag yeah <laughs> hashtag they don't want you to vote so you should And for those folks who are like, I'm too woke to vote, and that it's like a sham. Yeah, things are 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 stacked up against us, but we gotta utilize every tool that we have at our disposal. And and you know, like voting sets up how hard our fight is gonna be. And to the folks who do vote, vote and do something besides that. And this is the time, right? Like yeah. it feels like we're in a position where we're ready to vote. Mm -hmm. Like, people are feeling the impacts of some of these bad policies. Mm -hmm. um, so, there's the energy. I love that you said it, like, it's going to set up how, like, what our fight is going to look like, right? Like, how hard or how easy. Because I think that's the piece people forget. It's like, there's this huge push to go out and vote. But then there's, like, the follow-up that's missing. And I think that's why like cultural strategy is so important because it's like, it's the accountability piece, right? Like, do we show up at those city council meetings? Like, what do we do after voting? But like voting is still a tool in that toolbox. And another thing that you said that I really love is like this idea of like, it doesn't have to be this way, you know, like alternative ways of living. Like, what would it be like if we had like quality representation? What would it look like if everyone had a voice The conversation here turns to healing for our communities, but also for the organizers doing the work. I'd go to the beach more. You could go to the beach more right now. I, yes, I can. <laughs> We're so close to the beach. I think about that all the time. I'm just like, I literally am so close to the beach and then I don't go. Yeah, it's, I don't know. 
That's a culture shift within myself. That that's I need true. To do. Yeah, that that like taking care of yourself. Yeah. That took that took that's taken me a long while to figure out what that means, um, and not to burn out, mm-hmm. and stay in this work in a, in a meaningful and engaging way, and not like burn out. I feel like that's a whole nother conversation yeah. specifically for organizers. Like, mm-hmm. I think that we're so like attached to, and we know that, that there's a reason why we're so attached to this work is mm-hmm. because it's desperately needed and there's not enough people doing this work. But at the same time, because we're so dedicated to the work, we kind of overextend ourselves all mm-hmm. the time and we forget about taking care of ourselves because we're so busy taking care of other people. Mm-hmm. But we need to remember that like, if we're not in good shape, we can't we can't possibly help other people be in good shape because we're just going to be passing on like our negative traits mm-hmm. to other people. And so, like, how can we continue to do this work in a sustainable way mm-hmm. and prioritize our own healing over like trying to save the world, basically? Like building up the leadership of young folks, right? Like for them I always think about like who's going to be taking my role you know like how can I build up somebody to be doing what I'm doing so that I can move on to my next thing and like because I think it's a false idea that like we have to do everything you know Um, because we need all of us and so like to take care of ourselves but also like model what that looks like for young folks Um, because it wasn't always modeled for me I know that (laughs) so like going back to the idea of like new ways of living that are that feed our healing and feed our like sustainability so that we can go back to like why we do this work which is like love of our community love of our people like love of ourselves so i think and art can help us do that too yeah and like looking at at the young people that i work with and i always there's this phrase that i keep on thinking about and it's about my purpose like be be the person I needed when I was younger. Mm. Y'all feeling this? I feel like I'm vibing I off of y'all right it, now. Yeah. I'm like, I love having these conversations. So I feel like we don't have enough of yeah. them, you know? I feel like it's been a gift given to me to do this podcast and, like, um, talk to people about, like, themselves, their story, but also, like, just to feel connected. Like, I know in the Central Valley, like, we feel really disconnected from everyone. Like, you know, I, I think that, like, we got to build those bonds um, because a lot of what you're talking about is happening here and I know it's happening in San Diego and all over so like what does it look to look like to build power and it's to be in community in these ways Homegrown Power California's Grassroots Cultural Organizers is a production of Power California, a 501c3 organization. Power California harnesses the energy of young voters of color and their families to create a state that is equitable, inclusive, and just for everyone who calls California home. Opinions expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official position of Power California. To learn more about us and support our work, check out our website at www.powercalifornia.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at PowerCA Now.